Welcome to the Holsey B. Mark radio station. Listen, share, follow. Be part of the journey. Listen to things from cryptozoology, UFO, comedy, music, interviews, Freddy the Free Car Show, and much, much more. Enjoy the show. World without end. If a killing type of virus strain should suddenly rise by mutation, it could be cut. Could, because of the rapid move transportation which we indulge nowadays, be carried on the far corners of the earth and cause deaths of millions of people. W. M. Stanley, in Chemical Engineering News, December 22nd. 1947. Chapter 1. And the government added the United States of America is here with its spending, except the District of Columbia, as emergency federal officers, including those of the armed forces, put themselves under orders of the government by the various states without any other credential local authority. The order the active president, God save the people of the United States. Here is an announcement for those just in for the Bay Area Council, Mercy Council, West Auckland, whose hospitalization center has been abandoned. Its functions, including burials at sea, are now concentrated at the Berkeley Center. That is all. Keep tuned to this station, which is the only one now in operation in Northern California. We will inform you for of developments as long as it's possible. Just as he pulled himself up to the rope edge, he heard a sudden rattle and felt a prick of fangs. Automatically, he jerked back his right hand. Turning his head, he saw the snake, cold and menacing. Not a large one, he noted, even at the moment when he raised his hand to his lips and sucked hard at the base of the index finger. What a little drop of blood was oozing out. Don't waste your time by killing the snakes, he remembered. He slid down from the edge, still sucking. At bottom he saw the hammer lying where he left it. But for a moment he felt he should, would go on and leave it there. That seemed like panic. So he stooped and picked it up with his left hand and went on down the rough trail. He didn't hurry. He knew better than that. How he only sped up the man's heart and made the vermin circulate faster that his heart was pounding so rapidly with excitement or fear was hurrying or not hurrying it seemed should make no difference. After he had come to some trees he took his handkerchief and bound it round his right wrist. With the aid of a twig he twisted the handkerchief into a crude tunnel Walking on he felt himself recovering from his panic. His heart was slowing down. He considered himself Considered situation was not, and he, he was not greatly afraid. He was a young man, vigorous and healthy. Such a bite would hardly be fatal, even though he was by himself and without good means of treatment. He now, he now saw the cabin ahead of him. He felt quite stiff. Just before he got to the cabin, he stopped and loosened the tunnel He had read that it should be done and let the blood circulate in the hand. He tightened it again. He pushed over the do- open the door, dropping the hammer to the floor as he did so. He fell, handle up, his heavy head 
rocked back and forth for a moment, then stood still, hang, handle in the air. He looked in the drawer of the table, and he found his snake bike kit, which should have been carrying with him on this day of all days. Quickly he found the direction, slicing with a razor blade, a neat little crisscross over the mark of the fangs, applying a rubber suction pump. Then his watching the rubber bulb slowly expand as it sucked the blood out. He felt no, no premonitions of death, rather the whole matter still seemed to him just a nuisance. People kept telling him he should go, not go into the mountains by himself. Whatever he, what, it, what even a dog, he used to add. He'd always laugh at him. A dog was a constant trouble, getting mixed up with porcupines and skunks. You're not fond of dogs anyway. Not all the people would say, Well, we did, well, we warned you. Now all those people would say, Now we warned you. Fussing half free of the sea, you seem to be yourself to composing a defence. Perhaps, he said, would say, The very danger is appealed to me. And there was a touch of a rabbit in it. More truthfully, you might say, I like to be alone at times. We really need to be to escape more of the problems of dealing with people. The best defence, however, would might really be that at least during the year. He had gone into the mountain alone for a matter of business. As a graduate student, he was working on the thesis of the ecology of Black Creek area. He investigated the relationship past the present of man and plants and animals in this region. Obviously, he could not wait until just the right commander came along. In any case, he could, could see that there was was a there was a great danger. Although nobody lived within five miles of his cabin, during the summer, during the day passed without some fisherman coming by, driving his car up the rocky road, or merely following the stream. Yet, come to think of it, when he seen last seen a fisherman, nor in the past, not in the past, not in this week. Last week, certainly. He could not actually remember whether he'd seen one in two weeks, been living by himself in the cabin. Then there was the car which he heard go by after dark one night. He thought it strange that any cold could necessarily go that road in the darkness. He would hardly see the necessary for only people clamped down below a night and went up the morning. Perhaps he thought they wanted to get out to their favourite stream to go out some. Fur- Get, go out for some early fishing. No, no, actually, he would not exchange a word with anyone at the last two weeks. He could not remember what he had seen anyone. A thump of the heart pain brought him back to what he was happening at the moment. Hand would begin to swell. He loosened the tourniquet and let the blood circulate again. Yes, he returned to his thoughts. He realised it's out of his touch with things entirely. He had no radio. Therefore, he was, a con- he was concerned that there might have been a crash on a supermarket or another pearl over or something that would account for so few fishermen by. Anyway, there was little chance, apparently, that anyone would help come to help him. He'd have to work in his own way out. Yet that pussy did not alarm him. At worst, he considered he'd lie up in his caverns with some food and water for two or three days, two of the swelling hands subsided, and he would drive his car down to Johnson, the first branch of the Warren. He did not feel like eating anything with her. It came to supper time, but he made himself a pot of coffee and a gasoline stove. 
and drank several cups. He was, not, he was, he was in much pain, but in spite of the pain, despite the coffee, he became sleepy. He woke suddenly in half-light and realised something had pushed open the cupboard door. He felt a sudden relief to know he had helped. Two men in the city clothes were standing there, very decent-looking, though staring around as if in fright. I'm sick, he said from his bunk. Suddenly he saw the fright in the faces, changed to sheer panic. He suddenly turned about, even shutting the door and rain. A moment later, the sound of a very dirty car. By afternoon he wore on. He did not feel like eating anything, and when he came to, towards supper time, he made himself a cup of cup, coffee, a gasoline stove, and drank several cups. He had much pain, but in spite of the pain, in spite of the coffee, came sleepy. He woke suddenly in half light and realised that someone pushed open the cupboard door. He felt a sudden relief at how that he had help. Two men in close city clothes were standing there, very decent-looking men, staring around strangely, as if in fright. I'm sick, he said from his bunk, and suddenly he saw the fright on their faces turn, changed to sheer panic. They were turned around suddenly without even shutting the door and ran. A moment later, he was sound of starting motor, faded out of the car, went up the road. I pulled how he pulled, pulled it out now for the first time. He reasoned himself from the bunk, raised himself from the bunk, and looked through the window. The car had already vanished around the curve. He could not understand why they suddenly disappeared in panic without offering to help. He got up. The light was in the east. He slept until dawn the next morning. His right hand was fallen and actually painful. Otherwise, he did not feel very well, ill. He warmed up the cup of coffee, made himself some oatmeal, and lay down his bunk again, in the hope that while he would feel well enough to drive, risk driving down to Johnson's. That is, of course, if no one came along in the meantime, could stop and help him, and not like, other, like those others, who might be crazy, run away at the sight of a sick man. Soon, however, he felt much worse, and realised he must be suffering some kind of relapse. By the middle of the afternoon, he was really frightened. Lying in his bunk, he composed a note, thinking that he should leave a record of what happened. It may not be very long, of course, before someone would find him. His parents would certainly telephone Johnson in a few days now. They hadn't heard anything. Scrawling in his left hand, he managed to get words on the paper. He signed it merely Irish, which was much work to write out his... His full name was Asherwood Williams, and everybody knew by his nickname. And no one seeming himself like the shipwrecked mariner who, from the rafts of the steamer across the horizon, he heard the sound of cars, two of them coming up the seat road. They approached and went on without stopping. He called to them, but now he was weak. His voice was sure. Not did he ca- did not carry the hundred yards or so to turn off where the cars were passing. Even so, before the dust, he struggled to his feet, lighted lighted a kerosene lamp. He did not want to be left in the dark. Apparently, he bent his lanky body down to peer into the little mirror, set low, too low for him because of the sloping roof of the cabin. 
You've done the faces of thin always, and scarcely for some thinner now. But a reddish flush showed from the dark suntan of his cheeks. Your big blue eyes were bloodshot, and stared back at him wildly with glare of fever. His bright brown hair, unruly of always, but stuck out like in all directions, completely the mirror portrait of a very sick old, very sick young man. He got to be- back into bed, his bunk, feeling no sense of fear, although now he more than half expected of dying. Soon a violent chill struck him. He passed into a fever. Light burned steadily on the table. He could see around the cabin. The hammer was he had dropped to the floor. Still, there, handle pointed stiffly upwards, precociously balanced, being right before his 